Ron DeSantis. Is Ron DeSantis might be more fascist than Donald Trump and just a little bit smarter. It's not necessarily, oh, we're going to have a civil war too, but I'm just saying, if you look at that statistic there, it shows just because the civil war is, is over doesn't mean that animosity just goes away or you automatically are like, yeah, we were wrong. Hey, I'm so sorry. Yeah, we were wrong. This is the Snap Up, where each week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla help you digest their favorite stories from the world of sports and politics. The, the history books have gotten away with a lot of the bad things that we've done as society because they were non-Christian nations. And just like the dreaded Snap Book, don't be surprised when start bringing you over to the left side of the fairway. Back in the good old days, you could have gotten a job doing just about anything if you sat there and said, I have a college degree. But now, that's not the case. So we're going to sit there, we're going to back on these kids, we're going to sit there and say, you're going to owe, you know, thousands of dollars in debt. And in many cases, some of them pay for maybe twenty or $30,000 they borrow. They might pay two or three hundred thousand dollars in their lifetime with all the competitive interest. And now here are your hackers of the week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla. Welcome back in Snaphook listeners as we continue our journey through the history of gun control. Part two here, Scott, on our gun and weapons control special so uh you know before we jump into guns because that's always so much fun uh, so what's been going on with you this week anything interesting happening well you know last week we talked about i had risen to the top of the rankings in the uh weekly golf league i i somehow survived a oh, an absence last week i my daughter had a thursday night soccer game i am somehow just barely hanging on to first place by four points. And so a lot of pressure on me uh, this week to go out and put a good number up there. But, you know, Scott, just join life at the top. You know, I I uh, started a new job here uh, in April. And so there's just been a lot of a lot of stress trying to uh, get ready for my, my first season in charge of a, a professional sports organization. Yeah, as for me, I went to the happiest place on earth uh, with my daughter. We went to Walt Disney World. Uh, Ooh, did you get any sights on where the new prison's going to be? Oh, uh, you know, I, I wasn't really looking around for prime spots, but I did. Uh, I did catch that in the news, um, and I did see something that happened that will play prominently uh, in my scumbag, you know, feature. Not directly related to uh, Ron DeSantis, believe it or not. Florida man strikes again, I see. So, you know, interesting thing I heard about that, just a quick tidbit. Uh, one of the things my wife and I like to uh, we watch, watch this guy that is called the Legal Eagle. And so what he got his start was evaluating movies that are about the law. Like his favorite was My Cousin Betty. And so he likes to talk about like how true it is to the actual law. But what he mentioned was is there is a reason for Florida man. And the reason is, is because Florida is one of the only states that is legally required to surrender their entire police blotter to the media. Correct. And so uh, if we didn't have that, you know, in Florida, we would not have Florida man. 
Or if we had that in, say, Texas, I guarantee you we would have Texas banned. Yeah. Could you imagine some of the dumb shit people get arrested for in Texas that we just don't know about? Like, yeah, we uh, we could have our own Texas man. Thank God. Thank God we didn't get that reputation because there's some stupid people out here. We've got a lot of guns, a lot of land. Um, yeah. Yeah. Could be bad, Scott. Could be bad if, if we released at that level. So to kind of further us along, because you mentioned a lot of guns. Uh, you picked up so, on that, did you? Yes, I did. Uh, today's episode is about the history of gun regulation. But what I wanted to start off, and I always want to try it as I'm a teacher, so you're going to have to you know, bear with me here. I always want to try to make connections with what we've done in the past and you know, forward out of the future. And our very first uh, episode was about issue framing. And then later on, we had an episode about gaps. And those two things, I think of perfectly uh, when I think of the gun issue. Because one of the ways that the, the right in particular loves to frame the gun issue is that we want, we, the left, liberals, whatever you want to call us, want to throw in a bunch of new regulations that have never been in place, that guns have never, ever been regulated before. And all of a sudden, we want to do this now. That's the way that they frame the issue, which, you know, please pay attention to this episode because hopefully by the end you will find out that that's not the case and they're, they're selling you a bill of goods. And, and one of the reasons I've continually said weapons control too, right? Because we're going to take it back pretty far. And if you go all the way back to ancient Roman times, there were parts of, of Roman cities that you could not bring knives or weapons into. They were, you know, they were red lined out, right? There, it was part of, it was called the pomerium. Uh, it was believed to be sacred to the gods. And if you were caught with one of those weapons, it was a high, high crime. Um, it was very harsh. And, you know, for what it's worth, Julius Caesar was assassinated in Pompeii's theater which was outside the Pomerarium where you were allowed to have weapons. And so it was viewed as a way to keep down crime. Uh, it was viewed as a way to feel safe when you're going to see a show or when you're shopping in a big city or when, you know, it's just a way that they were able to control that. And that was in Rome before any of it. And then we get into England, right? And, and before we even really had guns in the time of Elizabethan in England, um, you know, wealthy people would carry long blades or swords, where like commoners more carried daggers. And this was a time there was a lot of thugs and robbers and, and paid assassins that were out there to do ill will, right? Um, and eventually more and more people started carrying these long blade swords and violence got out of control. And what did the Queen of England do? She said that you could no longer have a dagger longer than 12 inches or a long sword longer than 36 Anything that were not made for self-defense, but for murder or for a threat to the peace of the realm. I mean, those we're limiting swords, okay? We're limiting when you can have daggers. And I want to preface that, right? Because we're told, as you said, Scott, you could never do these things. You never, no one ever would have thought to, to take their weapons away. Well, here we are. You couldn't even bring your sword into certain places. And we were limiting the length of daggers and long swords hundreds and hundreds of years ago. 
One of my favorite stories of history, actually, is kind of related to the sword in, in a roundabout way. Uh, did you ever hear the tale of why we drive on the right-hand side of the road? No, I don't think I have. Okay, so this goes, and, 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 you know, and why the British drive on the left-hand side of the road still, uh, this goes back to Napoleonic times. And, you know, I'm sorry, but the French are assholes. They just are. Um, now, that's particularly true in Paris, when I understand. I think if you go into the French countryside, you know, they tend to be nice people. But, they, you know, they smell, they don't bathe. They don't get along. And so when they used to uh, march in formation, and, and especially on horseback, they would be on what would currently be the left-hand side of the road. Well, if I'm right-handed and I'm going on my left, my right hand is facing the inside of the other side of the road. And so you would hear French, they, they would yell obscenities at each other, they would insult each other, and they would get into literal sword fights. The soldiers, their own team, they would be fighting. And so Napoleon looked at that and went like, wait a minute, okay, i got to fix this. So what he did is he switched them to the right-hand side of the road. If you think about it, most people are right-handed. And so, you know, and again, we're in an auditory medium here, but in order for me to fight somebody on the other side, I had to reach across my body with a sword, and there's just no way that's going to happen. And so ever since the, the French did that, everybody in the world followed suit except for the English because the English hate the French. And so if you go anywhere in the world where, uh, where even if it used to be a British Republic or it's a British protectorate, like there's still some islands in the Caribbean that do this. I know like uh, when we went to Great Cayman, we were driving on the left-hand side of the road. It was weird. Uh, Australia, certainly, the kind of the same way. Uh, but everywhere else switched over to the right-hand side of the road. This was also Napoleon could you know, regulate their behavior by not allowing them to physically fight each other as they were you know, going on horseback and marching in formation. And that one just seems necessary, right? You don't want your shoulders fighting with each other before they fight the enemy. But, you know, like even as we get into the colonial time period, right, we're in the 1600s in America um, as a, a protectorate of England still. Who knows what side of the path our horses are trotting on here? Who knows? Right? Left? We don't know. But we do know in the 1600s that Catholics couldn't have guns, Scott. We do know that Native Americans had their rights limited to guns, as did slaves, indentured servants, anyone who Protestants were scared of, anyone who they thought might have a reason to kill them because they've been treated like shit, that's who they wouldn't allow to have guns. So again, 1600s to 1700s, all the way to um, when the when the uh, Second Amendment's ratified in 1791, Maryland, you know, all these places had strict gun control laws. Catholics weren't allowed to own guns in colonial times because they were subservient to the Pope and they could rise up and they could take over. All of it. We had these laws. We had them in the 1600s. Not only that, but, you know, we were mentioning Tombstone in the last episode, you know, and so I think what everybody thinks of, they're like Nirvana for guns. They think of the Old West. They think of the Old West, the typical Western, where they think, you know, everybody's carrying around a gun, getting in a duel, and shooting somebody at high noon. In a lot of these places, you know, Tombstone included, you could 
You couldn't carry your gun. Uh, and no, at, in Dodge City, Abilene, Deadwood, and Tombstone, you had to check your firearm either at a hotel or a lawman's office when you came to town. Uh, and so you bitched uh, the groups of people that you know were not allowed to have guns. This guy goes into the futures because the, the one Republican, uh, St. Ronald Reagan, uh, he was for gun control in California when all of a sudden the Black Panthers were getting guns. It was like, oh, crap, oh, we can't have this. And so uh, one of the things I've always thought, hey, why don't we just hand an AR-15 to everybody who crosses the border? Want to see how long it will take for them to, to ban AR-15s? It's, I don't even, I don't even know, Scott. That's a, I don't know. I, I'm just going to keep on with the timeline. I don't, I don't even know how to, how to answer that one. Um, but you mentioned the Wild West, right? From the 1700s to the 1800s, you had what was called the slave codes. After slavery is abolished in 1865, those slave codes become the black codes, eventually Jim Crow laws. All of those Jim Crow laws eventually, estat, uh, you know, banned black people from owning guns. Um, and it allowed the gun ownership specifically to free white men in the South. So again, who did you not want to have the guns? The people that you previously owned and treated like shit and beat when they didn't do what you wanted them to do. That's who you don't want to have guns. Uh, for example, in 1833, Georgia law stated, it shall not be lawful for any person of color in this state to own, use, or carry firearms of any description whatever. That the free person of color, so detecting and owning, using, or carrying firearms, shall repeat receive upon his back 39 lashes and that firearm so found in the possession of said free person of color shall be exposed for public sale. So if you're a free black person in Georgia after 1833, who has a gun, they're going to take it and sell it. And they're going to beat you with it. Uh, 39 times. Seems like an oddly specific number, don't you think? But, uh, yeah, 39 is interesting. One of the things, and I think, Tying this, and you always want to tie this, you know, further in the timeline, you know, to the present is that they're always, you know, the rhetoric around this is that they're always scared that the government's going to control you by taking your guns. That that would, that's the goal. And so it's funny to see how, you know, we want, you know, particularly in these times, and even after the Civil War, you know, when slavery is abolished. We want to control certain portions of the population by making sure that they cannot arm themselves. And that's not necessarily, I mean, it's the government doing it, but it's specifically white people, I'm sorry to say. And as we, as we take a peek into the future, like quickly, it's so frustrating that the people like Alex Jones, right? He's one of the first ones to talk about people coming to take your guns and Second Amendment rights. And they use these things as examples of times when you had your guns taken, right? So they acknowledge that gun control was a thing. They just don't like to they, – they always tell this half story and they frame it, as you mentioned before, in a way that's like, look, they've taken guns before. Like, yeah, white people took guns from black people because you were scared of what they'd do to you after you owned them for 500 years. Like, that's what happened. Tell the whole story. And so – Yes, it's so frustrating when you can look at all this history and then try and frame it in a way that makes you think you should still not have gun control. The history of gun control should not make you think it doesn't work. 
The history shows that it does work. Moving on, though. In 1929, we had what was called the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. And I think you and I, we we definitely talked about last episode, the advancements in gun technology led to, or the, the necessity of war led to the advancements in gun technology. Well, after... World War One, they needed some sort of gun that could just spray bullets in quick fashion to clear out a trench. That's what the Tommy gun was. It was a, had a circle cylinder. It literally just spit these bad boys out, rapid fire, not necessarily accurate from a long distance. But what you could do, do is pretend to be uh, prohibition agents as a mafia member, line your um, competitors up against the wall, and then spray the Tommy gun and murder them all. And that is what happened with the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Uh, Some of um, Al Capone's men uh, went in, pretended to be prohibition agents, had everybody line up against the wall, murdered them with a Tommy gun, national outrage. Um, People were really pushing for some sort of law that would ban machine guns because up until that point, they had been weapons of war, right? You had seen the Gatlin gun, or you had seen these guns only on the battlefield. You couldn't imagine someone coming in to rob a bank with them like they did, or to, to you know, use them with the way the mafia did to murder people. So the public was pushing for some sort of regulation. And Scott, what do you think happened? Well, they were regulated, obviously. They uh, got that regulation. It's crazy yeah. that public outcry can lead to a regulation. Because well, in 1934... They got a, a, a bill to ban these weapons. What I think is remarkable is that as you're walking through Tim's timeline, which he has taken you all the back of ancient Rome, uh, all the way down to 1934, what ties it all together is that these weapons are seen as weapons of war. That's their primary purpose. Uh, and so, you know, swords, daggers, you know, whatever, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and, and there's certainly some bit of a self-protection element to it, but that's not the, the majority of the cases. The majority of the cases is, is that we're looking, you know, we're looking at weapons of war and we're looking back at uh, how much, you know, access should people have to these weapons of war. And, you know, we talk, I talked about this last week, if you caught last, last week's episode. If you did it, please, you know, go back and, and catch it. Even if you're in the military today, if you are on a U.S. base, particularly stateside, you know, in training, your weapon is not with you in your barracks. You're checking that sucker. And these are people who are trained. You know, my cousin was, you know, he was a sniper. The Marines, uh, and there's stuff that he would not tell us because he actually went over and fought in, in uh, Iran, and I'm not Iran, Iraq, and there's stuff he will tell us, and uh, there's stuff that I don't ask. But what you know, what he would tell us is that you know the gun, he doesn't keep it unless he is on assignment in a forward area where he could possibly be in danger. Otherwise, that weapon's not with him. One of the things that's interesting, too, is just that public outcry worked, okay? Because in 1938, uh, after the 1934 National Firearms Act, you get the Firearms 
The Federal Firearm Act, Firearms Act of 1938 made it illegal to sell guns to certain people, including convicted felons uh, and sadly, probably people of color, um, and required federal firearms licenses. Um, people who are licensed by the federal government to sell firearms and they must maintain customer records. And this is huge, right? For the first time, we're keeping track of who's buying these guns, who um, is the official owner, who's licensed to have it. That's a big deal. And especially when you look at law enforcement trying to solve crimes, you you can find out who bought a gun. It took till 1938 for people to even figure out that, hey, we should maybe be tracking this. Like we should maybe, maybe think about writing this down. Well, then, Scott, we go 30 years um, before anything else really happens on the gun front. Uh, before 1968, when both John F. Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr. are assassinated. And at that point, again, public outcry. And you get the 1968 National Firearms Act. Um, it was revised to address the constitutionality concerns brought up by Haynes versus the U.S., which is namely that unregistered firearms already in possession of the owner do not have to be registered and information obtained from the national firearms applications and registrations cannot be used as evidence in a criminal trial when the crime occurred before or during the filing of paperwork. So these are things that, you know, last week we talked about how the NRA used to work with legislation. We used to talk about how they were a sporting club. Uh, they didn't lobby, but they worked with legislation to get sensible gun control passed. And these are the kind of things that the NRA would put in, right? That if you filled out an application, it can't be used against you. If you already had a gun, you don't need to go register just because the law changed. That's what the NRA used to do. We'll get into what the NRA does now as we go on, but here's the kind of things that they originally fought for. You know, if you already have a gun, you don't need to go out and register it, stuff like that. Yeah, and the biggest piece of legislation in my lifetime in terms of guns, easily. Um, in terms of uh, not necessarily the scope of what it did, but it just did the notoriety and uh, in the, really the press around it was the Brady Bill. And the Brady Bill is named after. Ronald Reagan's press secretary, James Brady, who, when he, uh, in the assassination tip when Ronald Reagan actually did get shot, uh, James Brady, he got shot. He did not get killed, but he was uh, permanently disabled you know, because of uh, that attempt. And so what the Brady bill did is that was the first bill, uh, major bill, that called for background checks, you know, waiting periods, you know, things of that nature, which seems... You know, when you think about it, it seems perfectly logical. I mean, uh, whenever, you know, somebody gets a driver's license, you can't just, you know, la-di-da in there. You, you know, you have to go through a training. You have to pass certain tests. You, have, you know, you, and I know my, my daughter just went through this. She had to wait six whole months after she finished her initial dri uh, her, you know, driving school class. And so she was not able to get her license until actually two months after her birthday because she had to wait six months. This is a car. So, you know, the idea of waiting seven days to get a gun, I mean, I don't know. And, and, and to think that it was argued by Ronald Reagan, who is the, you know, you know for, for Republicans in the modern age, um, it's just it's, it's astounding when you see where they are now politically. So just to finish up the 
68 Gun Control Act, they also regulate interstate gun commerce. They prohibit interstate transfer unless completed among licensed manufacturers, importers, and dealers. And they also just restrict the types of guns you can own. Uh, then we get into 1986, which is the Firearm Owners Protection Act. And that's where things start to change a little bit. You'll notice between the 60s and the 80s, that's where someone we talked about last week called Harlan Carter really makes his move in the NRA. And we start to see the purpose of the NRA change in the 70s and into the 80s as more of a lobbying organization, more of someone beholden to gun manufacturers. They are there to help promote the sale of firearms. They're no longer at this time period, someone who or an organization that is there to promote the sport of shooting. That is gone. The NRA in 1986 is an organization that is there to support firearm manufacturers as they try and sell as many guns as humanly possible. Uh, so in 1986, again, the Firearm Owners Protection Act passes. The acts, amongst other revisions to prior laws, allowed gun dealers to sell guns away from the addresses listed on their licenses. It limited the number of inspections by the uh, ATF. It could perform without a warrant. It prevented the federal government from maintaining a database of gun dealer records, and it removed the requirement that gun dealers keep track of ammunition sales. Could you imagine if we still lived in a world where we tracked ammo, where you could trace a single bullet to the per- to the credit card that bought it? It's- it would be it'd be a crime. It'd be what the police want, right? Why are the police not out there saying this is bad? We should overturn that. That's that's what you would want. You should be able to to scan a. Fuck a freaking barcode on a bullet and say that one came from this shop. You go to that shop and say this guy bought it. Okay, go arrest him. Well, and I think uh, what we can't undersell is you know we, we I mentioned Saint Ronald Reagan and I, I use that seat kind of a jest as if anybody couldn't figure that out. Since Ronald Reagan became president, uh, so we're looking at a period of forty three years. So this is most of my lifetime all of Tibbs' lifetime. Uh, Republicans have been president for 24 of those years. So Ronald Reagan was in for eight. Bush Sr.'s in for four, so that's 12. Bush Jr.'s in for eight, that's 20. Trump's in for four, that's 24. That's despite the fact that Trump didn't win his election in terms of a popular vote. Bush did not win the first time in a popular vote. So really, you know, Democrats, you could argue, should have been president for all but 16 of those years. And they've been able to stack the courts. And so along with the legislation that Tim has talked about, there have been a series of landmark cases within the civil uh, within the Supreme Court, you know, particularly the Heller decision, that have kind of uh, come on at the same time where we've changed the way that we look at the Second Amendment. Before Reagan came along, the idea that we could regulate you know, gun sales or gun ownership, that wasn't in question. I mean, that was just naturally assumed. Now, all of a sudden, we're seeing, you know, slowly but surely over that period of 40-plus years where the government's ability to regulate and to, I guess, kind of keep an eye over. Uh, and in one of the other major decisions, I don't remember the exact year, but uh, maybe you have this down in the notes, 
the CDC is not allowed to study the effects of gun violence. Not allowed to. And so, you know, they're not allowed to sit there and say, this many people have died. This is how they died. You know, maybe this is the number of people who died, you know, in the form of suicide with a gun. This is the number of people who died with this kind of gun. This is, they can't do any of those things. Because it would be great to be able to, in addition to tracking the bullet, it would be great to be able to sit there and say, okay, what, okay, number one, what type of gun are, you know, how often are AR-15s killing people? How many people are they killing? Or we could look at who are the people who are doing these mass shootings? Like, do they fit a, a profile, you know, that we could look at? Uh, and then maybe the, the ATF, in, in concert with the CDC, could sit there and say, okay, we recognize a profile here. We're looking for this profile. If we see people trying to stockpile guns who fit this profile, maybe we could, you know, mark them, you know, in some kind of way. And maybe we could track them and maybe we could uh, stop them from owning these guns. Can't do it either. See, that. Scott, I'll take it even further. If you're buying, I think we should track anyone who buys like more than three guns, period. Like you buy one or two, okay, you're a hunter, you have a handgun for fun, like, or anyone who buys an AR, any private citizen who buys an assault rifle, like just start watching that person because you don't need it. Like there's obviously a reason they're buying it. They're up to the various stuff. Like, I'm sorry, you don't need that gun. You don't need it. If you're not doing anything wrong when you buy it and they watch you, okay, they go away. But the every one of those assault rifle crimes, if they're the ones buying that, like, okay, you can buy it, but you go on a list of people who own this gun and they're going to monitor your social media. That's the trade-off that you get to buy this gun. Like there are plenty of things that we we you know you download TikTok knowing that your data is going to be monitored. You you download a Facebook app and it says right there like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna use your data, but you get to use this app for free. Most of us say yes to those all the time. So you know what? You want to buy an AR? You want to buy an AR fifteen? Cool. We're gonna watch your social media from now on. Uh, one of the things, and there's actually two things that I've thought of that I would actually be a good idea, and, and if and it's not revolutionary, the first one. So you have a, a driver's license. You own a vehicle. You live in Texas. What do you have to have? Uh, I believe the answer you're looking for is car insurance. That'd be correct. So what I would do is I would sit there and say, you want to own a gun? You have to buy insurance. You have to buy liability insurance. So therefore, you're liable for anything that gun does. So you want to give it to your buddy Jethro, who you know wants to hold up a liquor store? Well, guess what? That liquor store owner gets to hold you liable for what happened with that gun. Uh, the second thing I've, I've heard that's interesting is instead of maybe gun control, bullet control. Say, you know what? You think it's that, cool. That one's off the West Wing. That's straight <laughs> from a West Wing episode. But you, but you think about it. Somebody will sit there and say, hey, I think it would be cool to have an AR-15. Because there are some people that absolutely are gun collectors. And you know what? Hey, I collect baseball hats. You know, who's to say which one, now my baseball hat collection is not going to kill anybody, but, you know, who's to say whether whose collection is, is stupid, whose collection is cool. So if you want to sit there and you want to have like a gun that was used back in 1860, okay, you want to put it in a display case in your home and say, look at the cool thing that I have. Okay, you don't get any bullets for it. So it stays in a nice you know, display case. You can pull it out. You can handle it. It's, you know, it's cool. You, know, you can hold the AR-15. You can act like you're Rambo. But 
at the end of the day, you don't have bullets. You don't have bullets. You're not going to be able to do anything with it. But I definitely think, you know, the one I would do is I'd, I'd do insurance because I would sit there and say, for the life of that gun, you're responsible for it unless you sell it to a licensed dealer where it's uh, reported to the government, the government's aware of it, the government sees the transfer, it's a, and they consider it a legal transfer, then you could, it's the same thing as a car. I transfer a title over to somebody whenever they buy a car from me. And, and the car, they don't own the car until I release the title. Same thing with a gun, I have a title, uh, you know, I have insurance, release the title. You know, so there now it has to be reported to an office of the government. So there, John is selling it to Fred. Fred passes a background check. You know, Fred's not a bad guy. So here we go. The title goes to Fred. Now he's the one that has to buy liability insurance for that gun. It's reasonable. Absolutely reasonable. Let's move on. You, you mentioned the Brady Handgun Act of 1993, also called the Brady Act. It was signed in November of 93. It required a five-day waiting period. Uh, for a licensed seller to hand over a gun to an unlicensed person in the states without an alternative background check system. Uh, that five-day waiting period has since been replaced by instant background checks that can take up to three days if there's inconsistency or more information that is needed to complete the sale. I don't understand why we ever overturned that. I don't understand why we had to go to an instant system. If you need a gun right then and there, that's the first red flag that should go up. Like If you have to have that gun today, red flag. Absolute red flag. But we move on. 2000s, George W. Bush is in office, and he goes for the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act and Child Safety Lock Act of 2005, which gives broad civil liability immunity to firearms manufacturers so they cannot be sued by a gun death victim's family. The Child Safety Lock Act required all handguns be sold with a secure gun storage or safety device uh, and actually i did you're right scott i did miss the um assault violent assault weapons ban of 1994 which is actually huge signed by bill clinton uh that ban outlawed 19 models of semi-automatic assault weapons by name and others by military feature as well as large magazine large capacity magazines uh the ban unfortunately expired in september of 2004 um, which is, again, when George W. Bush was in office, and it was not renewed in large part due to the NRA's lobbying efforts. And what I want to point out, and, I, and unfortunately, again, we have an audio, audio medium here. And I can't show you the visual, but just if you look at the number of mass shootings in that time period, 1994 to 2004, and then the number of mass shootings afterwards, it, 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 the numbers explode absolutely explode and i've had this argument with people online and it's like well you had a bunch right before you know you and then they come up with i i can't even articulate an argument and so what we have going on today and what i would say the difference between today and say the 1930s whenever we wanted to uh, to ban the tommy gun or you know the machine guns is even today i think people recognize i can't have a tank i can't have a, a working tank at my house. I can't have a bazooka or missile launcher at my house. I think everybody recognizes that there is at least some regulation, but I think where we have this, uh, this divide where we have people butting heads 
is what is the definition of an assault weapon? And I think that is the huge debate that happens. It gets to the point where we, we argue, like with the AR-15, there are some people that have mistakenly said that the AR stood for assault rifle, which it actually does not. It stands for, it's, it's the initials of the manufacturer. Who gives a shit? It's an assault rifle. I mean, it, even though the name is not assault rifle, it's an assault rifle. But you have people who will sit there and argue, well, that, that's not an automatic weapon. You don't know anything about guns. You don't know any, do you know any guns? Well, if you don't know any guns, you're not allowed to say anything about guns because you just don't know. It's like, are you freaking kidding me with this? I don't own a tiger either, but I should also feel like I could say to my neighbors, hey, you can't own a tiger. Like, I, I feel like that's a fair thing to say. I don't want a tiger in the neighborhood. I, I don't have one, but I also feel as a fellow homeowner, I should be able to say no tigers in the neighborhood. But hey. So we move from the 90s to the 2000s, okay? And that's where the 90s, you still had a Democrat as president past the um, assault rifle ban. Now we're in the 2000s. George W. Bush is president. We have had, at this point, the Twin Towers have fallen. We are all somewhat conditioned of fear, right? There is fear in the air that... That personal safety has been taken away from us. And with that, the NRA uses that just fear to stoke the fire that everybody needs guns. You need guns to feel safe. Guns will make you feel safe. And so in doing so, more and more people have guns. Well, more people have guns, more people are going to get shot. When people get shot, people get sued if they don't die. So what happens? For some reason, we need to protect the gun manufacturers from being sued. We need to protect them. So we pass the Lawful Commerce and Arms Acts, which which protects firearm manufacturers from lawsuits in the event of shootings and mass shootings, which is disgusting because these people have marketed their arms to the community and then they can't be held law. I mean, we held Big Pharma accountable when they market, not well, but we did, when they marketed basically heroin as a painkiller, we eventually were able to hold the big tobacco companies accountable when they marketed cigarettes to children to get everybody hooked, even though they knew what was wrong with it. But we passed a freaking law that we can hold firearms manufacturers accountable for their actions. Uh and what you, you know, it's, I, it always reminds me, there was an old, old, old SNL sketch back in the late 70s with Dan Aykroyd. And he was the owner of a toy company. We had to put toy in quotes because it really, he was like selling broken glass and he was selling all these things that were just so obviously dangerous. And you have this you know, reporter who's trying to sit there and ask him, you know, well, isn't this dangerous? And so... He's trying to make, oh, no, no, it's perfectly safe. And then he shows himself getting, like, you know, basically attacked by a perfectly safe doll that he's purposely trying to injure himself with. And it, it, it's just on that level. At the same time as these laws that Tim is talking about protecting gun manufacturers, we see a prolifer ah, proliferation, cannot speak to, uh, today, proliferation of the make my day castle laws around the country. 
And so what these are is basically if somebody invades my property, I have the right to shoot them. And this is somebody we had my wife Janet on a few weeks ago. Uh, she actually knew uh, in a roundabout way. So, you know, a foreign exchange student went and knocked on somebody's door in Louisiana. It was the wrong house. And the kid was shot and killed to death. And the homeowner was not held responsible because, you know, they had you know, the, the, the My Castle law, the Make My Day law, which, you know, protected the homeowner. And, and, and we've seen cases like this, like they, uh, John Oliver did a great piece on this, where he had somebody who, somebody was robbing the neighbor's house. And the guy calls 911. 911 tells him, do not, you know, confront this person. Do not go outside. You know, the police are coming. They'll take care of it. What does the guy do? He goes out, brings his gun, shoots him at his neighbor's house. Not only, you know, do they not arrest him, they throw a fucking parade for him. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. And there's two cases in the news right now of exactly what you mentioned, Scott, of, you know, one was a a young boy. He went to go pick up his kid, his, his siblings from uh, a friend's house, knocked on the wrong door, got shot him in the head, stepped out, shot him again. That guy got arrested for attempted murder. Well, then there's another one of just a girl was trying to go to her friend's house, takes the wrong turn, pulls into the wrong driveway. This dude just shoots her, right? Like we've conditioned people with fear and we've connected feeling safe with guns so much that these people honestly, honest to God, live in fear. And they think that like these people are coming for them and they have to, that's the conditioning that the right wing media has done of, of making these people scared and making them feel like guns are the only way to not be threatened, you know? And, and you, you have the assault rifle bill that ends in 2004. Then you, you know, Obama had a chance, you know, he had a democratic house, he had the numbers and he didn't push it. He didn't push it. And instead what Obama did is he went the other route with um, executive orders. You know, he announced measures to take effect immediately, such as an update and expansion on background checks. He added 200 ATF agents. He increased mental health care funding. Uh, he increased personnel to the National Integrated Ballistics Information Network, which was used to link crimes in one jurisdiction of ballistics evidence to another. He created an Internet Investigation Center to track illegal online gun trafficking. Uh, he created a new Department of Health and Human Services rule saying that it is not a HIPAA violation to report mental health information to background check systems. Uh, he has a new requirement to report gun thefts. He started new research funding for gun safety technologies and more funding to train law enforcement officers on preventing gun casualties in domestic violence cases. I don't necessarily love most of what he did, but I do respect the idea of doing it through executive order versus trying to get a bill passed, especially the way that Congress is going, the way that anything that Obama put out, especially on guns, um, you know, the rhetoric was terrible around Obama and guns. So I understand why he went executive order. I just don't think he necessarily went after the right items. Yeah, I think it was unfortunate. You know, particularly he had a filibuster-proof Senate there for a while. Uh, he had the sixty you know, that you, that you needed, and you know he used it to get the health care bill passed. And I guess you know if you're looking, if you're, you're saying, "Hey, I've got one thing that I could do 
I can't necessarily fault him for going after healthcare. I could fault him for surrendering on too many planks on healthcare. Um, like certainly not having a public option, I think, uh, was a horrible thing. But I think just in the last few years, just right before the 2020 election, the Missouri couple, white lawyers, old people, standing out of their driveway with their guns, pointing it at people who are just peacefully protesting, marching through their neighborhood. To me, there is no more compelling symbol of go-to-ership in America right now. Because you have the majority of the population probably looks at that and go, my God, what a bunch of idiots. But you have that rabid few who are like, you know, you show them. And, you know, of course, you know, the Republicans leaned into it, had them speak at the 2020 convention, which was just, it it, it just kills me. The, The NRA, every time, it's the same, you know, their defense against regulation is the same every time. They deflect. They sit there and will say, it's mental health. They'll sit there and say, oh, it's video games. They'll sit there and say, no, well, now they'll say it's pronouns. They'll sit there and they'll, they'll say, you know, we need a good guy with a gun. So the NRA shamelessly. Uh, Wayne LaPierre now in control. Shamelessly, he'll put his face right there, you know, in front of everybody. And after you know the last, you know, the next mass shooting, he'll be out there. We need more good guys with guns. You know, we need fewer pronouns. We need door control. They'll sit there. We need an armed guard at every school. They'll sit there and they'll argue all this stuff. I heard somebody, and I mentioned this. Somebody mentioned that maybe they had to put a tank in front of a school. It's like, do you really think that's going to do it? Is that what you think? Because, you know, think about it, an issue of war. You wanted to kill one man. Are you using a tank to kill one man? I don't think so. But, again, it's, you know, it's the constant rhetoric. It goes back to the point of, well, we can't regulate guns. They've never done this. Why are we wanting to regulate guns now? Well, as Tim, mostly Tim, has laid out for you all the way back to Roman times, we've regulated weaponry at just about every step of the way. So why is it wrong now? And the answer is it's not wrong. It's financially viable for certain individuals to break down the Constitution in ways that benefit them. Uh, You can look at the Supreme Court specifically. They've been ruling little by little to take away what gun control laws are and exist, right? In New York City, um, it's not an easy place to get a concealed permit. You have to show legitimate cause why you need a concealed permit, or you used to have to do that uh, until 2022 when the Supreme Court ruled in a 6-3 majority stating, uh, written by Clarence Thomas, a piece of shit, uh, because of the state of New York issues public carry licenses only when an applicant demonstrates a special need for self-defense, we conclude that the state's licensing reg- regiment violates the Constitution. So, as you mentioned earlier in the episode, the Republicans have stacked the courts. They have enacted, or they've let gun control run out while they're in office. 
the people that they put in the courts are slowly but surely breaking the laws that we have down to let there be little to no gun control. And any statistic that you look at, states that have lesser control, the open carry states, have more shootings. You can you can listen to Marjorie Taylor Greene talk about how Democratic cities have more murders, yada, 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 whatever. If you want to go on per capita basis, that's different. But if you look at just states that have open carry policy, they have more gun deaths. They have more shootings. They have more access to firearms, which are used negatively. And we've created this on the right, this feeling of whatever the cops have, I should have too, because I don't want to be in a position where the cops can, you know, outgun me. You know, if they come for me for being a Republican, right, because they're coming for you. That's the that's the vibe that we've created now is being a conservative is putting you in jeopardy and you have to protect yourself and your family with these guns and they will come for you as a conservative. So whatever the cops have, you have to have too. And that's where we're at. People are armed. Whatever new weapon comes out that the military, the police have, they feel that they have to have the same thing to protect themselves when the left comes calling. That's the rhetoric. So a couple of stats just to throw out here in the interim. Uh, The average American owns 1.3 guns. There's 1.3 guns for every American. And John Stewart, you know, some people don't like his politics. And, you know, there's some issues where, you know, I'm kind of iffy on with him. But, you know, his show, the, the, the problem with John Stewart, he has done some excellent interviews and some hard-hitting interviews. And he asked an excellent question of this guy from Oklahoma that argued for basically, you know, no regulation whatsoever. And he says, so I want to know, since the argument is that what we need are, you know, more guns. What is the number of guns we get to where it's the tipping point where things actually start to improve? Because we're not there yet. You know, is it 1.7 guns per person? Is it an even two per person? Because as we saw, and as Tim laid out, he's absolutely right. The more guns there are, the more gun deaths there are. And, you know, I, I know it sounds like a you know, three-year-old logic because I think a three-year-old could figure that out. But, you know, according to, uh, you know, Christy Dobe, you know, one of our illustrious governors, you know, her granddaughter of two now owns two guns, apparently. Uh, maybe I'm stepping on some uh, uh, scumbag toes here. If I am, I'm sorry, Tim, but it, it's, it's nuts. It's nuts. And there's no way, if you look at any chart of number of murders, and, and, and there's no argument you could cobble together. And I promise you, uh, we have a plan for a mental health episode down the road. So for some people who want to sit there and say it's mental health, uh, just, I'll say this right now. I agree in some, in some sense. But we need to actually do stuff. You can't just sit there and say, oh, it's crazy people. Apparently only crazy people in America. No other country in the world has crazy people. That's patently stupid. I mean, it's patently stupid. If, if they want to sit there and argue that, it, well, people don't have God in their life. You know, more Americans per capita go to church than any country in Western Europe. I mean, by, by a long shot. Western Europe, I mean, maybe 10 to 20% of the public are average church growers. Whereas, you know, in the United States, we're looking 40, 50% in some states. But apparently we don't have God. That's the problem. 
or we're crazy and nobody else is crazy. I mean, it's any excuse other than the, the thing that any three-year-old could figure out. Throughout history, it's any times the need to blame God or that we don't have enough God. It's, it's just always been there. You know, that's always been the quick way to fix an issue is we don't have enough Jesus in our lives or we need to be more religious or we need to be more pious. Uh, and it's just simply not the case. You and I both know that it's not the case. The case is we need to limit guns. But I don't know how to get there, Scott, because, you know, you look at today's climate. Um Democrats have let this happen. Democrats have spent 15 years unable to do anything. And now I don't know that they can. You've literally got someone who survived a school shooting and David Hogg or Hogue. I'm not sure how you pronounce that if I'm wrong, who is an advocate for obviously for gun control. And when he goes and speaks, people terrorize this man. Marjorie Taylor Greene followed him down the street yelling profanities at him. This guy survived a school shooting and he's being told he's a fake, that he was a crisis actor, that the whole thing wasn't even real. I mean, we live in a world where Alex Jones lost three separate lawsuits to the tune of $1.6 billion for Sandy Hook denial. And he still just won't come out and say, I fucked up. He won't do it. He will sit there and blame the judge for silencing him and for justice not being carried and all the other stuff. And he'll sit there and be like, I never, I didn't kill their children. I didn't kill the children. But he, he won't sit there and ever say that, like, I messed up. I did something wrong. Guns are the problem. No. It's the government coming to silence him because he's right all the time. And he lost $1.6 billion with a MFing B. $1.6 billion judgments against him for perpetuating a lie that Sandy Hook was a fake. And he still is doing the same shit. I think the moment that the good control, that the movement died officially, in terms of being able to do anything meaningful, was after Sandy Hook. Because if you cannot galvanize behind 20 plus dead little kids. I don't know. I, I uh, And I think, and, and when we get to our, our favorite portion of this week, I think I'm going to have a bit of a roundabout explanation for this, but, but here's, you know, here's the upshot. When you talk about Alex Jones, $1.6 billion, but does he ever have to publicly say he's wrong? No. As we're speaking, you're going to get this you know, on Wednesday, but as we're you know, recording this, Dominion has settled with Fox News. For just, no, they're going to trial. They're making them go to trial. They didn't settle. They settled for just under $800 billion. $800 billion. Oh, I wanted that to go to trial so bad. As, as of today, it was going to trial on, on Tuesday today. Yeah, it, was, it just came down about an hour ago. Oh, that's terrible for America. So, but think about this. Does Fox News ever have to publicly say they were wrong. No, and that's why I wanted them to go to trial. I wanted all of them to be under oath to have to admit the lies that they told. So, and, and I under, and I get it, you know, and I get it from Dominion's point of view. You know, they, they, they probably know there is no way 
that they're ever going to get Fox to say, we lied, we were wrong. They could have lost a billion, two billion, three billion. But how many of the, how much of that money goes to the attorneys? You know, after all that, you know, it is done. And, you know, Fox News, the problem is, is that, you know, this is just like, this is like a tax on Fox News. We get to peddle bullshit. And this is just a little fee. It's like what, you know, you mentioned the uh, pharmaceutical companies earlier, you know, who got sued. And they're, they're sitting there making absolute billions with a capital B off their Oxycontin. And they get sued, and they're paying millions. Well, here's a little pittance. Here you go. We'll just keep selling it. It's fine. And this is just, you know, it's the price of doing business. And so the problem is, is that you can never get, and there's not enough shame. We've talked about the, you know, that shame has an absolute value. There's not enough shame in this world to, get, you know, to have people like Alex Jones sit there and say, you know what? I made it up. I was full of shit. I'm sorry. He'll never do it. Fox will never do it. And so the game just keeps going and going. I would bet, and I'm not advocating for this, but if some left-wing person went out with an assault rifle and started taking out one by one all the right-wing shithead media people, they'd be calling for gun control real quick. If all of a sudden, you know, Tucker Carlson gets shot, Alex Jones gets shot, Lauren, you know, all these people start getting hey. shot with assault weapons, hey. that they're hey. calling for it. Hey, you're invading from the south of the border. You know, you're one of these you know, people. You're not. We're not bringing your best. We're bringing the worst. Here, here's the AR-15. Let's see how you do. Uh, yeah, that's gonna end real quick. They're gonna sit there and go, no, no, wait a minute. Okay, you want to invade the AR-15? Oh, okay, okay, we're. we're um, so I think we're getting to that, you know, that time of the week here where somebody has, you know, somebody has pissed you off. If you're like me, multiple people have pissed you off, but you know, yeah, you I gotta might go. have two this week. I might legitimately have two, but I, I'm going to let you tee off. I, we'll, we'll go, we'll go round, round Robin here. I'll let you go uh, first and last here with your two. Okay. So I'm going to start off with. Our governor, wheels, hot wheels, leading the way, Greg Abbott. So I guess it's like a week and a half ago or so, um, a man was found guilty of murder for running people over during a BLM protest. And many in Texas felt rightfully so. Now, as usual, because it was a BLM protest, there was a vocal minority who were pissed, saying that this guy was just fearing for his life, trying to get out of the way, yada, yada, yada. So what does Greg Abbott do? Greg Abbott comes out and says, I'm going to start the process to pardon this guy. Well, after he does that, some recordings come out. Some tape comes out. The receipts come out. And this guy went out looking to kill people. This guy literally is in messenger chat saying he's looking for people to run over with his car. And this is the guy that Greg Abbott says, I'm going to get this person out of jail. And it just shows you that our governor, no, obviously this stuff came out after he said it, but it shows you our governor does no research. Our governor talks out his ass. Our governor is at the whim of the loud minority on a regular basis. 
And he doesn't care about the safety of the children. He doesn't care about the safety of his citizens because he's trying to get a guy out of jail who went out to kill people. He went out to kill people that night. And he did. And that's who Greg Abbott wants to let out of jail. Greg Abbott's a fucking scumbag. Well, two things I want to remind the, the audience about. Number one, uh, I write for Juanita Cheats on occasion. And every Friday, uh, the person who runs our blog, they release the political cartoons for the week. And one of the ones they had, along with the, the story that Tim has just told you, is where Tucker Carlson is operating Greg Abbott like a marionette, you know, like a puppet, and telling him what to say. And, and it was on this issue. Number two, I'd like to remind everybody, what job did Greg Abbott hold before he was governor? Attorney General. So he should know the law, shouldn't he? You would think? I think he specialized in how to break the law, was what Greg Abbott did. Yeah, that's... that's Okay. So, luckily, I spent a lot of time alone in the Disney parks because, you know, the kids were allowed to go off on their own, and... There was something I saw that happened there that, that kind of stuck with me and kind of gave me a little epiphany. And unfortunately, I've been trying to toss around how exactly to say this and still don't know exactly how to come out with it. But let, let, let me set up the scene here. I'm in line uh, Magic Kingdom. We're going to go to the Haunted House. And the wait time is about 40 minutes, which is you know about average. It's not too bad. But, you know, when you're waiting in line for 40 minutes, you're waiting behind the same people and you know, there's not much you can do. So, remember, there are thousands of people in this park. Thousands of people. So, off walks by this family. You see a little girl who's maybe three or four years old. She's wearing a princess dress. Then you see her brother, who is also wearing a princess dress. And I just don't. And so finally, the people in front of me, they go on this 10 or 15 minute rant about, oh, I hate trans people. Oh, my God, what are they doing to this kid? They're going on and on and on and on. And so, you know, part of it is, you know, on the surface, you're sitting there saying, well, I don't know. This kid's four or five years old. Does this kid know he's, you know, is he, is he identifying as trans? I don't know. Is he identifying as gay? I don't know. Is he identifying as bisexual? I don't know. Is he identifying as metrosexual? I don't know. I seriously doubt any of those things. He's four or five years old. This could have been just some, something as easy as, hey, she got a dress. Why can't I get a dress? And then in order to keep peace in the family, they give a dress. That's fine. Now, my scumbag for the week is basically the outrage machine because this is what happens. We bring this up. We bring up trans kids. Oh, God. A boy's going to become a girl who's going to want join your daughter's basketball team. Oh, no. You know, they're, they're, you know, they're grooming kids to become gay. Oh no! What are, you know? We're doing all these things. Oh, everybody's going to become woke. Oh, 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 oh. So basically, what happens is, is that people find themselves in one of two groups. They find themselves in either a 
I'm outraged at this thing happening. This little boy who has done nothing to them and they're only seeing him for a span of 60 seconds doesn't matter in their life. And that makes us angry. So we're going to vote for the person who's going to stop this from happening. As if there's a way you know, to stop this from happening. And then you have the people who are activated the other way. Who now I've got to you know, stand up for these things. I, I've got to defend the, the honor. And so one of the ones that it, it, what crystallized this issue is... I'm sure everybody has heard the bitchin' of Drag Queen Story Hour. So I looked this up, because I was curious. There are 35 chapters. 35 chapters across the United States. Which means that, uh, as basically as I understand it, they've appeared in 35 public libraries across the United States. Let's say it's 50. We'll round up. There are probably close to, I would say, at least 50 public libraries in the state of Texas. Easily. Probably, maybe even maybe closer to 100, you know, when we, we start to, you know, to get down on it. I mean, in, in just the Houston area, there's got to be, you know, maybe 8 to 10. I don't know any of those that have ever done Drag Queen Story Hour. So what you have is you have what I call politics of scale. Would I take my daughter to a Drag Queen Story Hour? I, I don't know. Probably not when she was younger. Um, I don't have anything personal against drag queens, but you know, I don't know necessarily that's you know the best you know avenue for them to take. But I, I don't care enough. You know, and, and when you look around it, they're not available in Houston. And so what happens is, is that we get angry over essentially what is 1% to 2% of the population. And so this is what I'm going to invite people to do. I'm going to invite you to draw a series of concentric circles. And in the inside circle, you put yourself. The second layer of your circle you're going to put your family and people that you care about. And then in that last set circle there on the outside, you're going to put people that I know. And so when any kind of issue comes up, what I want everybody, and this is left, right, middle, whatever, I want everybody to ask themselves this question. Does it impact me positively, negatively, in any way? Me personally. Does it positively impact me or negatively impact me? No. Let's move on to the next circle. Does it impact anybody that I care about? Does it impact anybody that's in my family, immediate family? Does it impact any of my friends that are close friends? No. Okay, let's move to the outside. Does it impact anybody I know? And I think in a lot of cases, this is the circle where people get to. People get to, okay, I know somebody who's trans. Okay, I know somebody who's gay. Okay, I know somebody 
who's a lesbian. Okay, I know somebody who cross-dresses. Okay, I know, you know somebody who this impacts. Okay. What I'm saying is, and I'm going to say this very plainly, and it's going to sound harsh at first, but I think the whole idea is that we need to care less. I'm not asking people to stop caring altogether. I don't think that's healthy either. I think that if you have people in your lives that uh, that this affects, you need to, to be allies for them. You need to stand up for them. Or if you think that this is negatively impacting you know, your life, you know, you stick up for the people that you care about. You stick up for the people that you're failing. You stick up for yourself. However, we need to focus more on issues that directly impact us. I'll give you two examples just off the top of my head. Everybody paid their taxes recently. They finished their tax return. Ever since the Republicans and the Trump administration passed the Trump tax cut, four years in a row, four years in a row, I've met my maximum in healthcare expenditures. I have taken zero deductions. My wife has taken zero deductions. We are sending out the best, most possible that we could give the federal government out of our check. Four years in a row, we still owe money. And I, you know, I'm spending an arm and a leg in healthcare. And I am still, you know, we have, we do have a dependent. I am still owing money every single year. That's something that affects me directly. That's me. Okay. And the other thing I want to mention is we talked about, you know, we talked about school shootings. I'm a teacher. That affects me. I have a daughter in school. That affects me. Tim has a wife that works as a teacher. That affects him. He has a daughter that's in school. That affects him. These are issues that affect us directly. We should care more about issues that affect us directly. And this is why I think the gun control debate has gone sideways. This is why I think a lot of the debates in our country have gone sideways. It's because too many people are getting distracted of, well, maybe I should care about you know, you know, this gun control not having AR-15s, but David Budweiser changed their hand to a rainbow. Who gives a shit? I don't. And so, you know, for the people in front of me, I'm not going to call him a scumbag who was complaining about this child wearing a dress. I don't know him. I experienced him for 10 or 15 minutes. Honestly, I don't care what he thinks about that kid. I just care about the fact that his rage over this issue, because he has been triggered by the outrage machine, is going to cause him to vote. And he talked about it. He's a DeSantis backer. He said he was from Texas. He's an Abbott backer. He's a DeSantis backer. Now, does he really support all of DeSantis's politics of uh, policies? I seriously doubt it. Does he think that he needs to build a prison right next to Walt Disney World? I seriously doubt it. But he's probably rooting for him like, yeah, you get the woke crowd, yeah. And so people will continue to vote against their interest because they're activated by these morons who want to sit there and say, you know, 
Oh my God, look at that trans kid. Oh God, look at that drag queen. Oh God, look at that gay person. Oh God, that teacher taught my kid that the, the people were racist against black people. Oh God, stop. Okay, we're not asking you to stop caring completely, but we need to care less. And if you're on the left and you want, and your instinct is to stand up for people like that, I applaud you, but realize what you're doing is you're feeding the outrage machine because they're able to get recordings of liberals, leftists, whatever you want to call them, saying we should support, you know, drag tweet story hour is a good thing. They're going to get that on a soundbite and they're going to throw that to their people. And that's going to turn into liberals want to you know, put you know, drag preach score hour in every school in America, which is complete horseshit. Uh, and as I said, just remember, 35 chapters of drag queen story hour. There are at least a thousand public libraries in the United States. Do the math, people. What is 35 out of a thousand? It's Three and a half percent. percent. And, I, and I, that's probably high. I think there might be Drag Queen Story Hour at 1% of libraries. Yet we're going to throw this big, huge hissy fit because it's going to trigger the people, to, uh, both the left and right, to sit there and argue about something that does not matter. We need, and, and, I, and I'm willing to sit down, Tim and I don't agree on everything. We have differences of opinion. We have differences of opinion on the sports side of things. We have differences of opinion on the political side of things. We see eye to eye on most things, which is why we have a podcast together. But I don't want to argue about this with him. I want to argue about things that matter. I want to argue about things that are actually going to improve, change our lives for the better. We need to pass you know, better economics policies to make sure that our economy works for more people in this country. We need to pass common sense environmental policies to make sure that we can breathe the air and we don't turn into Venus by the year 2100. We need to pass better education policy in this country so that our kids can have a better chance at a brighter future. We need to pass it so that our teachers get paid a living wage and get the respect that they deserve. We need to have a common sense foreign policy so that when rogue dictators invade their neighbors, we don't have people standing up for the rogue dictator. These are things that most people could agree on. These are things that I would love to have a conversation with conservatives about. But what are we stuck doing? We're stuck arguing about drag queens or about LGBTQ or about whether or not you know we should be able to fondle in Kansas kids because we think a boy might be a girl or vice versa stop just stop i was heated scott that was uh i thought you were in the happiest place on earth last week but uh looks like you took a little detour i got one more for you uh this one kind of came across the last couple of days but in oklahoma um Last, well, the the recording was in March, but um, in McCurtain County, the sheriff, as well as a couple other town officials, were caught on a secret 
audio recording basically saying they were sad that public lynchings were no longer a thing, that they wanted to order a hit on a reporter who was being too invasive on them. And then after all this comes out to light, as always, no apology, no nothing. Those officers um, are on administrative paid leave. But also here's a statement um, from the law firm representing the township. It's not an accurate, the, the accurate, the, uh, pardon me. Um, they said that it was doctored. And it violated their um, rights since the recording was of a third party. It was illegally obtained. No, we're wrong. No, we're shitty people. Just, hey, you weren't supposed to be listening to that. This is what Donald Trump has brought to America. Again, at least, right? Like we kind of progressed away from... Our lynching period, our um, KKK period. There are still people who believe that, but they didn't say it out loud. But now we say the bad stuff out loud. We say the awful stuff out loud. And then people get upset when they're on recording saying that awful stuff. And they don't have a problem with what they're saying. They have a problem that other people know that that's how they think out loud. And that's why... Those three officials are my second scumbag this week in McCurtain County. Uh, yeah, I heard today Trump, and I, I, I'm never going to nominate Trump as a scumbag because I just think it's too easy. But, you know, one of the things he recently said in one of his speeches is that he, he wants to arrest homeless people and set up tent cities for them. Kind of like maybe... In turbid camps, maybe? I don't know. Just, you know, kind of throwing this out there. I think concentration camp is probably the better word. Yeah, you know, we've tried it. Uh, so, uh, moving on to a tweet, uh, I'm just going to shoot this one out here. This is from Mike Pompeo, a recording of his speech. We can't become the left following celebrity leaders with their own brand of identity politics. Those with fragile egos who refuse to acknowledge reality. That is from Mike Pompeo. Irony, ladies and gentlemen, is officially dead. I've got some good tweets this week, Scott. I think you mentioned one earlier, which was when uh, Republican Governor Kristi Noem uh, said at an NRA convention that her two-year-old granddaughter already owns guns, including a shotgun and a rifle, and soon will need them. Very nice. Um, let's see here. That was one of my favorites. And I the other ones I had were sports-related, so we didn't really get to um, talk to that on our, our sports episode. So I'm going to go ahead and break them out here. This is a positive tweet, actually. Um, this is one of my favorite accounts is called the Monday Q. And for those of you who don't follow golf, um, any tournament that has the name open in front of it, there is a Monday qualifier. And anyone with a certain level of handicap can pay and try and qualify for that tournament. Um, so one of the Corn Ferry Tour events had a Monday qualifier. A pro by the name of Chris Nagel showed up with his full staff bag uh, and asked the club, hey, do you have a caddy? 
No, they don't have caddies. He asked them for a push cart. No, they were out of push carts. So now you've got a scenario where a tour pro is going to have to walk the course and carry his own staff bag for 18 holes. Well, luckily, one of the members overheard him, came to the rescue, brought his own, brought the member, brought his own push cart, and he's now any he caddied for um, that player. So that was one of the fun tweets I found this week. At the end of the day, a, a member at the club is going to be a pretty good local caddy if you don't, if you know, if I think so. Yeah, I, yeah, I would tend to try to trust what they're, you know, what they're saying about the holes. Uh, here we go. Here's another uh, a dumb nominee. From Ali Alexander, I don't even know who that guy is. Alex Jones does not hate children. He is not an anti-Semite. Nick Fuentes is not a white supremacist. Donald Trump is not an authoritarian. Roger Stone didn't subvert this country. I know all of these men. You've been lied to. I don't know about you. Is it opposite day? I don't know about you, but I'm convinced. I mean that 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 sounds that sounds true, doesn't it? Uh, hey, if if Ollie Alexander says it's true, then yeah. I mean, it's not like I listen to Knowledge Fight and hear a good chunk of what Alex Jones puts out on the air. Um, it's not like I can form my own opinion. So yeah, I'll go with Ollie Alexander. Uh, then I'll go with the one that you kind of agreed with. Uh, oh no, no, that's the one last week. Uh, an older one. But, yeah, so a few tweets there for you. So it looks like we're wrapping up this uh, this issue of guns. Uh, one of the things I did uh, tease out is next week, a lot of conservatives do like to say that it's mental health. So up game. Uh, I've got a master's in counseling, so we'll talk mental health next week. And so if you have any questions for us, like if you want uh, to prime us with some uh, ideas that you want to hear on the mental health side, or like if you have an idea for, hey, you know, maybe you ought to talk to this person, you know, give us a shout out, you know, on either Tim's Twitter or my Twitter or on the show's Facebook page. You know, let us know what you're thinking. And speaking of Twitter, Scott, what is yours so that people can find you? Um, I'm at S. Barzilla. Um, that is, you know, my last day with the S in front. Uh, you can also find me at Battle Red Blog, right about Texans, and Juanita Jeans uh, Beauty Salon, which, I, like I said, every Friday, she does cartoons. They are hilarious. So you know, give that site a look. How about you, Tim? You can always find me at Tim underscore Costello10 on Twitter. You can find The Snap Hook on Facebook at The Snap Hook Podcast. And because we recorded slightly out of order this week, I do know for a fact that our Thursday sports show is a banger. So be sure to um, listen on Thursday as we kind of discuss the relaunching of the Houston Rockets. They've been grounded for a few years. Uh, Hopefully NASA can get them up and running here again soon because it has been a tough time to be a Rockets fan. So. Good talk, good Rockets talk coming in our in our Thursday sports show. We hope everybody enjoyed um, our look on the history of gun technology and gun control. Uh, again, you know, I it's just something that's important to all of us right now. And, you know, I hope that we can just open up a few minds if you're willing to, to do some more research and, and learn more about this and, and be active in the cause. You know, we'd love to have you because... Um, as much as Republicans talk about saving our children and protecting our children, um, 
sending your kids to school and knowing they're safe is the most important thing we can do for our kids. And, and that includes gun control at the end of the day. So we'll leave it on that. But we do appreciate everybody who, who gave us this opportunity to, to be a part of your week and um, to bring some of this information to light. And just like to add, you know, we're rooting for Tim this Thursday mm. uh, as he, he's trying to hold on to that slim two-point lead that he has there in his league, uh, trying to fight off the sandbagger that, you know, we've heard so much about. Uh, he officially, I've decided to name him Sandy Bags from now on. I don't know his real name. He just now is Sandy Bags. And so uh, I keep an eye out for him. And, you know, Scott, I got to wonder if other people in this league put the same level of pressure on themselves that I do, or if they even take it as seriously as I do. Um, as I mentioned, one week people are out there on baseball jerseys, and, you know, I am definitely the guy taking it the most seriously, but I just I don't know any other way to play. Yeah, it was. Well, I remember playing at MGA events, and we played at Sasha Harbor. We always won what they called funny money, which is money that has to be spent in the pro shop. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it was nice. You get you know, get a few like cutter buck shirts, but I won a that, skin last week, and I can only be used to defer the cost of my next round in the in the league. Like I win a skin, but you don't get any money. You get a credit for your next round. So uh, something that will be coming to a future sports episode, uh, Tim and I are going to start a segment where we t- tell funny golf stories because you know both of us have been playing, you know, for over twenty years of our lives, and so you know we've built up some stories along the, along the way. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. I uh, I've been doing some brainstorming. Um, I sent you. I don't know if you listened to it um, yet, but I sent you that episode on Sevi Ballesteros um, from Golf Digest that was fantastic. So I, I'm ready to talk more golf. This is the Snapbook podcast, right? Like at the end of the day, we could always make a little more room for golf talk and uh, we'll definitely start bringing some, some golf vault stories out. Cause there's just like high school golf team stories are fantastic because you were just left alone. Like no one messed with you. You were just, my mom dropped me off on the golf course for seven hours a day and deuced it. I was there to my own devices. So a lot of fun happened as you uh, grew up on the golf course. Absolutely. And uh, I want to thank everyone for being a part of the Snapbook family. Tell your family, tell your friends, tell your enemies. You know, get as many people in here as we possibly can. Yeah, I'll take a hate listen. I'm not I'm not above a, a couple of hate listeners. But, uh, yeah, this has been a, a fun journey. Uh, I've learned a little bit as I've done the research for some of this stuff. But, um very much appreciate everybody who made us a part of your week. Uh, we look forward to next week where we get to talk a little bit about mental health. And be sure to tune in tomorrow for our Rockets relaunch episode. But that's all we got for you here today on the Snap Hook. We look forward to hearing from you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Snap Hook and making Scott and I a part of your week wanted to recognize that our intro song is called Energetic Indie Rock by Alex Grohl, and this outro music is Good Vibe by Twisterium. We appreciate everyone who tunes in each and every week and is part of the Snaphook movement. We look forward to seeing you next week on the Snaphook.